I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole. Hmm? You could say that. I can see it in your eyes. You have the look of a man who accepts what he sees because he is expecting to wake up. Welcome to Team Rabbit Hole Edition 275 with Andreas Exertus. It is traditionalist mockingbird futurism. Welcome and well met once again, Andreas. Man, that title seems so much different. Uh, no, now that I hear it, it's the perfect title. It's amazing. Yeah, we came up with it together, <laughs> dare I say. So well done. <laughs> so how's everybody doing today? How's Costa Rica, Kincaid? Yeah, coast is fucking hot, dude. It's like 30, 31. You're way quieter. Oh, I'm like tropical school. Am I? Yeah, oh. get closer to your mic. Well, that's... Hold on. Is that way better? <laughs> shit, uh, this microphone must suck shit. I like um, ASMR. If, if you really just want to be like, hey, everybody, this is Jim. I'm in Costa Rica. Bienvenido. Um, yeah, it's all right. It's hot. And I'm trying to figure out. I thought I had gotten a ticket uh, to uh, from San Jose Costa to Honolulu oh, for 100 bucks. That kind of I got ticket. a ticket from uh, San Jose, California. So now I have to find. It. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I got to buy a ticket out of here in the next, you know, couple months. Um, but before we go too far down the rabbit hole, this is episode 275, and that reduces to five. <laughs> uh, I think, right? Two, seven, nine, five, four, four, four. Yeah, five. Uh, so that's the Hierophant card. I am the teacher of universal law. It's the high priest card. Caretaker of spiritual knowledge, teaching others what you know, awakening to a greater understanding of the world and paying attention to the details. And I have to admit, I have not been paying attention to any of the zeitgeist details lately um, between workday stuff and just kind of zoning out. Plus these gnarly ass mushrooms I got from this guy who grows them in <laughs> tuna. I was I straight up had like a DMT trip last week or two weeks ago. You're uh, a man like, of the people, Jim, for sure. Well, it's it's how we roll. But anyway, so higher fit card, Raphael. Uh, what do you got going? And then we'll go from there. We got oh, very nice one. We got the four of cups. Oh, nice. Uh, which is the Lord of Blended Pleasure. Usually, that's you know some people like to call it that's like the after after party. You know, like so the coming down or coming up, but you know. To those that know how to stay healthy and know how to handle themselves, also the after party can be great fun. So welcome. <laughs> so between the after four parties are better. Skip the party, then you still have energy for the after party. You know. After I haven't been to a real party since before COVID. I, I the last thing I did was New Year's Day or New Year's yeah New Year's Day. I ate some acid at a rave in Australia, and that was after that. It's been no fun for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a lot of slavery and a lot of saving money. I actually just got a letter from the IRS being like, we're going to double check your shit because I guess I hit like this tax bracket where it's like, you're going to give me a lot back, like $2,500 back. So give it to me. And they're like, we're going to double check that because that's like a car and we don't want to help you really. So right. Um, anyway, between the Hierophant card and the Four of Cups, anything popping out for you guys? Um, I mean, just off the top of my head, the guy that you just had on your um, interview 
isn't necessarily a hierophant, but uh, it sounded like he was kind of speaking the truth from a certain angle. If you want, it's not a bad. It's not a bad name for for the man. You know, in a lot of ways, I think uh, it's interesting how we are approached the the facade of social connotations for everyone and everything, and how nobody ever lives up to being the thing that we've surmounted them to be, you know, in, in a good way or a bad way. So maybe and just I'll, to make it clear for everyone, this was the Alexander Dugan interview. I don't think we actually <laughs> mentioned his name. Yeah, I just... wasn't sure if you guys wanted to yet or ever, so I wasn't sure. But yeah, Alexander well, Dugan. Well, the higher fit. He's considered to be, uh, you know, on one level, Putin's Rasputin. The West thinks he's just this, this horrible, dark figure, you know, but... In real life, he's just this guy who's into traditionalism and orthodox Christianity, you know, but he's very open to Islam. He's a dude who was an anti-Soviet kid during the, the end of the Soviet Union in the 80s. He would listen to the rock and roll and submizdat and was also tra raised around traditionalists who thought the Soviet Union suppressing their right to have religion was a bad idea. But then when he got out of the Soviet Union, he realized the West had as many problems as he'd been you know, promised that the Soviet Union had, you know, so there was not a lot of better, you know, and so trying to figure out a better path. And he'd been saying, okay, well, what's the opposite of the Soviet Union? Well, the the, the Nazis and the Americans. And then he got very anti-fascist and very anti-American as well as anti-Soviet. So it's kind of, kind of, kind of a cynic of everybody in a lot of ways. But the, the nostalgia of um, the traditionalism, he's tried to see the difference between nostalgia and traditionalism because we have this confusion where we think traditionalism is modernity. And that's not true. Modernity is this enemy of the future and the past. And it's one of the reasons why so many people are constantly transfigure transfiguring themselves in whatever way, ideologically, physically, whatever, in order to fit themselves, conform themselves into modernity, into modern society, rather than allow uh, the traditions or the the new flexible plasticity that's coming to impact whatever is the now. And so the now is also different than modernity because it's kind of like Orwell's real world, right? We say this word, but it doesn't really mean what we're, we're saying it's because modernity is just everything that's taking in the now you're taking your choices away from your past and your future in order to be trapped you know and so this is this is kind of what he was saying a long time ago we talk about the new sphere he talks about the new machina this machine of mind that's controlling in a lot of ways and that there's a danger to the control mechanisms and that there, we need to try to um, allow for organic interactions. I mean, he uses the internet, but he thinks the internet's not really the solution in the long run. That you know, and really also, it comes down to a political science thing because after the fall of the Soviet Union, here's one of the smartest guys in Russia. So they're asking him to teach classes. He's a professor of political science now, but it was also just philosophy. He's a philosopher. So political scientists uh, and military. Is he an advanced philosopher? He's totally he advanced philosopher. APM I mean, philosopher grade. I'm kidding. There are arguments in APM in our advanced philosophy groups. Uh, Fraga, who does um, what's it called? In, in synthetic ontology, or in, in, um, he has a he has a new kind of ontology that is synth like synthesizing ontology or ma making your own 
and an ontology. So the idea that we connect all these ideas is an ontology. What is a chair? Ontologically, a chair is a complicated idea. There's wood, but there's carbon, but it's a bunch of yeah, things. Like functional identity versus like a space-time kind of identity. Right. Versus, and we can, uh, we can think about how we define history and philosophy and our empiricism all through ontology. Like, are, are, is this team rabbit hole or is this a conversation between these parts that are Kincaid and Raphael and Andre? Are they all different or is it that they're all made up of the same material? So really it's just stardust and ontology can really change everything about your perspective. Uh, so the Russian military started listening to this guy and he became really influential. People think of him as like the best friend of the pre president of Russia. It's not really that that's the case. It's more, I mean, they're probably pretty close in ways, but he was the professor uh, at these military conferences talking about Eurasianism. And that's why it got conflated in the West that he, as a philosopher, has a political, and he did have political um he tried some political things that didn't really work out like the Bolshevik party, the new Bolshevik party and doing all these things that had to do with magic though. He's very interested in magic. And he, you know, over a period of time, people also accused him of being a Satanist and a Thelemite and all these other kinds of things, which he clearly interacted with in the West. And he saw, you know, it's like that movie I put on my channel generation pie about the guy who goes to the Russian version of eyes wide shut. There were, connections all of a sudden between Western satanic uh, culture, Atlanticism, um, which is the other thing we've talked about new Atlantis. The, the sum, the, the surmise of that is that this is new Atlantis, right? Like we're the West is a transatlantic is Atlantis. And ideologically the belief that this is the high Hill, as he calls it, the, the, the highest peak of civilization the, the Atlantis is now and that the old Atlantis isn't as good as this Atlantis. That's a very Atlanticist uh, ideology. And then there's this traditionalist Tartarian ideology, which he even goes into in the interview. He talks about the connections between Tarinism and Tartarianism and Eurasianism as just this idea that there is a traditional power and there's a, a, a technological power because these sea powers, they're, by by logic more technological they're trying to overcome nature in ways that the land power is trying to conserve the resources and there's a, a naturally more traditional culture associated in, in the customs of a land power than in a maritime power than in a naval power so there's we've talked about in tartaria this idea of trade network that there was this endless summer of trade and this is very important because usually anthropologically they say every society is built on war but we know the incas and the aztecs and the mayans also had these very interesting um systems where there was no money in in parts of south america in the ancient world pre-columbian world they just had Cocoa to work or whatever well, they just gave they said everyone works for the the kingdom where they're needed and then there's just huge parties of food all the time because it was beyond scarcity these were resource-based economies and you didn't yeah. really have to work but if you did work there would just be more or there would be something new and this is the idea of you know growth this was the same thing that was happening in the world island that was eurasia and eurasia started to there was a trade dispute between the maritime powers and the land powers we've talked about maybe there's nepotism um that's you know and i'm starting to feel like maybe that was uh, 
biased on my opinion, uh, on my on my perspective, because by reading the 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 morals and dogma and the and the Masonic texts, they clearly say. And if you go back further, the 1500s, and you read the Knoll Codex, and you start to see the, the tales of East Tartary, it's very clear that the message is, yeah, there were these Tartars, and they were jerks, and they weren't very smart, and they didn't deserve what they had, and that's why they lost it. And it, almost every time that's you hear about them, um, but it ends up coming out that, oh, the Tartars lost everything. And that, you know, they it's because they don't deserve it because they're lazy or something. So they you kind of start to... Something. Yeah, you you kind of start to wonder how were they not shrewd enough rather than is this a lie? And you start to look at this idea. It's very plausible that nepotism, cronyism, what are the problems we have today? Those are the problems that could have existed in another political uh, sphere at the time that they could have been overcome by. But there's another there's another issue is that there's a secondary power that's developing, which is the naval power. And if the naval power is as powerful as it is today, it kind of presupposes that they're the ones who destroyed this thing. And we have evidence of that because you look at the Dutch East Indies company and they're the ones who are saying, oh, well, we're the ones who saw Krakatoa explode. There was nobody there. Oh, there were some, there were some five, four, uh, four fifths persons there, but they're not really. And the whole society wasn't, they didn't even have a wheel yet. Never mind their calendars, a wheel and there's wheels. Ever. Don't even think about that. They just they weren't available. We're, they're better off dead. And that's a crazy that we've just accepted. That is crazy. So Dugan's talked about that. He's talked about Russia as the heir to Tartaria, but not or to the Tyrannian Eurasia, not because they are the um, the rightful offspring or that they're the. I mean, maybe that's the only reason, but not because they are the original masters of Tartaria. They're they're saying, hey. We're aware of this thing we were part of. And it's amazing that as this has gone on, we, since the ninth century, have stepped it up to become rather important. And of course, Russia is a, a concept because you have Asians, you have Eurasians, you have Turks, and you have Scandinavians. And the Scandinavians make up Ukrainians as well as, I mean, Swedes and in many ways are, there's a reason why the flags are the same color in Ukraine and Sweden. And so you start to notice there is a connection between Scandinavian Vikings and the Rus, but they're saying, yeah, we're the, we're, we're the ones who are most likely to step it up. And this all happening, right. When Biden's saying, you know, as clearly as he can possibly enunciate, well, you know, we're, we're, there's a world, new world order and uh, we're going to have to be the master. You know what I mean? It's just like, come on, guys. Just, he just doesn't. Come on, man. It just doesn't sell it like George. Come Bush on, Sr. man. <laughs> it doesn't sell it like George Bush Senior. You know, it doesn't have the thespian intonation and drama that the CIA used to. He have. does have so a twelfth house Scorpio son, so I think he's might be just a little looser in general. Not that I, I don't really, really know. That was the that was the son. that was the sweetest thing I've heard said about him in the royal court. That was so that was charming of you. I think, though, that today is also Maybe. an important day because Russia is about to release. It might be right now is the um, there's there's there the biolabs and Hunter Biden evidence. The Russian government is coming out. Uh, with just right to come up. I, I thought there was a total conspiracy. See, I just don't keep my finger on the pulse that much. At some point, I like way early in 2020, I was just like, Rafa, I don't know, because he was hitting me up with all these like, read this paper. It's not what you think. And I was just like, bro, I've got a fiance long distance. I'm trying to get a job. You know, it's like I've got like very. You, so, so so let me just rephrase that. So Raphael said, hey, take this red pill. And you're like, no, 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 and no, I, no. I got a blue pill my life out really hard right now. 
That's what I just heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's okay. what happened. So, I mean, um, what's crazy is that's literally what happened to America because they're like, dude, the, the world's falling apart. I just got to hold it together. Let's just get through the election and then we'll find out what's really going on. I mean, because everyone who said it was a lie had to come out and say, no, all right, fact check. It really was. And this, this is, of course, nobody cares, but it's like it's illegal to look at this stuff because it's child pornography and crack. I mean, the, th the stuff he has – that he did it's so toxic that even to just to be near it just to know that it exists is illegal you know if you've seen it you're you've seen child porn so you don't want to even have anything to do with proving to yourself that this guy exists it's amazing to think also about how they use entrapment that way of course because that way you know the the, the it's out of sight out of mind except for the people that are above the law it's terrifying well, as soon as all this Ukrainian stuff started popping off a few weeks ago, I don't know if it was you or Raphael, but we were like, let's have an episode, hence us being here now. Um, kind of walk us through in your mind, I guess, uh, spit the hierophant truth to you to the best of your degree, uh, knowing that there's four of cups emotional overwhelm possible. Um, that's what happened to me. I was just like, yo, this is like, I mean, a few years ago, it's not that I didn't want to do red pills. I was more like, what's the nature of reality? Not so much like, why are gremlins biting me? You know what I mean? It's a little different. Yeah, like, I was the opposite. I was like, dude, I can't sleep at night with the gremlins biting me. I need lights on. This is horrible. Yeah. Minnesota ho. So, um, <laughs> uh, so walk us in your mind about what I guess and I Ukraine, mean, huh? About Ukraine or about what? Yeah, just, we'll just start there, I guess. Uh, the Biden thing. I mean, I was aware at some point they were like, "There's some sketchy shit," but this was also around the time of the um, Congress overtake. Okay, there's a, there's a few things I'd like to mention about the Dugan interview. Yeah. I don't know. You want to finish that for finish first, just to mention it. Cause it's, I think it was incredibly sure. interesting. I'll link it. Everyone go watch it. So, you know, at least you can make up your own mind and not have some mediated reality, you know, not that this is less mediated, it's but you know, mediated. at least, it's so a bit, sad. At least we're not deliberately trying to deceive anybody. Yeah. I was so sad that Will Smith, like, I didn't know the Oscars were the same night as my interview. Cause I don't pay attention. Who, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I was like, Oh man, I should have done this just a few days earlier because this would have maybe hit more people, but now everyone's worried about this other thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, those who are that easily distracted, I mean, I can still, yeah, whatever, it doesn't matter. So what I found interesting in interview, many things, but one even just this land and sea power idea, you may be familiar with the concept of, you know, the law of the land, the law of the sea, the whole Jordan Maxwell thing, it's kind of a correlation. And what it I also reminded died. me of is, right, what it also reminded me of is he spoke a lot about the sacred and the idea of even having some sense of a sanctity of the soul, which translates into a natural respect for life that within such an understanding, even if there is hierarchy, there would not be exploitation to the same extent that modern, liberal, Western capitalist Atlanticism. democracies, Atlanticism would allow, because there the extortion can be turned out to the max, adrenochrome, if, you know, a reality. Right, um, and he's totally acknowledged that. He in, in other interviews as well, he talks about satanic CIA culture's connection to adrenochrome. Like, so... This is interesting because we're supposed to think this guy is the bad guy, but he's out there pointing fingers at all the well, actual that's why people he's the bad guy. <laughs> that know that are doing this thing. And it's amazing because he talks about how he's spiritual and he's like, he said, I used to believe that there was just complete soullessness to it. But now I'm starting to think there's some sort of black spirituality or some dark soul to it. There's something, some evil sacredness to it. The, it's not just that it's empty. It's that it's sucking. And it's so interesting because that's 
I mean, who does not feel <laughs> that way? Who's who's cognizant and, and, and aware in the head? I feel <laughs> I feel he's completely on to something there. And yeah, it sounds like he got to the higher echelons of interacting with Western Satanists and the same way he dealt with fascists and communists and criticized all of the problems along the way with all of them. So I find that, yeah, his, his spiritual interests, the idea that the Dyson, the experience, the existence uh, is so important, the manifestation, he's clearly... The Dasein, Dyson, Dasein. Dasein. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. And his connection to, um, you know, Shintoism, because Eurasia, he's very interested in the Veda, the Veda connection to Slavic mysticism as well. So, and of course, you have to remember, there are other kids in Russia in the 80s who were anti-Soviet, who were Muslim and um, everything else in between, atheists and everything else. So his connections with the most interesting kinds of people it's a very russian indiana jones and he's figured out how to um i think he's right on a lot of things i I know that people probably think that that sounds crazy to say about somebody who is working with russia but the other thing that's interesting is he said he wasn't happy with some of the things going on with russia and ukraine he was critical and he referred to russian propaganda as well as western propaganda he said everything is propaganda on both sides so i can't i can't argue with that (laughs) right i mean that's and who and it's amazing because we're told that they can't say that too so you know it, it lets you know a little bit about what's really going on with the, the 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 this uh new iron curtain and silicon curtain really uh, Raphael, do you want to say something no i just basically continued on my list so no it, it's pretty insane <laughs> and the other thing that came came up for me because i mean he doesn't use maybe the word tartaria and so on even though i remember actually on some older maps you can actually see the duchy of muscovy maybe that's what he was referring to it seemed pretty small and maybe by now, you know, that's like the modern Russia because whatever Tartaria was, you know, went. He referred to, so he talks about how Tartaria um, and Eurasia refer to Tehran. And so in the 18th century, um, pseudo-Turkology is what the West called it then because they were trying to get rid of this idea that Istanbul, Constantinople, and the Indo-European migration were connected. Right. And so this idea that, which is in Turkey. So this idea that the Turks were connected. And I understand there are, there's for whatever, apparently there's seriously anti Turkish nationalism or something still around the world, but it checks, it it holds water. You can look at the world. Right. The Turks are the guys like the CIA operative types. Yeah, and hey, you also want to be careful, like not to disrespect Turks, you know, because you know they they will defend themselves. The wrestle you or kebab you. You you guys worry about this guy. I'm innocent. All right, but with the but but with the spread of Indo-European uh, Tehran Empire, you see Persian culture ending up in China, and you see Persian culture ending up in Poland. And so this idea that there really is a spread from Persia, but that Persia was like also Marco connected. Polo years, quote unquote. Well, and then that's a really interesting thing too, because Marco Polo they say never went to China because he never saw the Great Wall. But read between the lines, because he saw a lot of stuff. He saw a lot of the infrastructure of China, meaning he was in this greater uh, place that was a Eurasian landmass, following the same customs. But he was so far away from the Great Wall, it shows you how big this empire was, and he was in a lot of the places around this place. But conveniently, would take water. Uh, you know, take boats to get the, to these different locations. So 
the connection between the maritime power and the sea power after the Pax Mongola is the only way that there's a connection because Marco Polo from what 1291 until 141500 Pax Mongola you can't cross Eurasia because the Mongolians have control of it so you have to go around which is how the Germans end up uh in China you know and the, they they have to go all the way around and go through the far east um and so then you start to see these this new manifestation of the maritime culture colonizing land and taking up different locations for their own trading ports and saying, you know, we're just going to keep this for ourselves because we have enough power and wealth to do that. And Dugan refers to this as the Carthage versus Rome argument, but it's not so much that that's the correct terminology. It's just that that is, well, it that is the accepted nomenclature because the first, I think, did we talk about this before? War, uh, weapons of mass destruction, uh, the first war crimes in history. Do you know about elephants? Elephants were illegal. So the first like major march elephants. Yep, totally. That's how they did it. Elephants of mass destruction were very common in Carthage. And they, after Hannibal was uh, defeated in the final battles, they, they made treaties that said that they wouldn't, they could never use elephants again. And then about a century later or less, maybe like two generations later, the Roman land power started becoming a sea power, um, well, they were already a sea power, but the Carthaginian power lost this in the elephants, but the Romans continued to use elephants. So they broke with their own treaties and everything else. But the elephants were really dangerous because if you marched forward and then they heard a loud noise, they might turn around and then kill your own troops. So, you know, it's uh, it, this not much is of the, a safety on that gun. It's like, this could go any which way. It kind of shows but, that in Lord of the Rings a little. But it was a cool it was a cool new idea. So for I mean, so this yeah. is this is the difference. You got these people that say, let's try new things, and other people be like, that hasn't been proven yet. And we see this today, and Americans are always mocking, like they're like, China doesn't invent anything. Well, you know, like they copy the things that work. You know, so that's a that's a reasonable way to go about it if you're in a relationship with a innovative wild card that is likely to destroy itself unless you support its existence. So, I mean, there's, you know. Yeah. So last thing I want to bring up about all of this is that the way he put it I found interesting was traditionalism. I'm not sure exactly around what year he would locate that, but it would make perfect sense then to say that concepts and ideas, whether modern capitalism, the entirety of modern republics and democracies and um, also technocracy, whether the old or the new version, would all already be part of modernity and basically already all along the march of, you know, um, non, non-sacredness, let's say, or profane. And therefore, in a sense of a completely different level of quality than what traditionalists would mean, which, as I would imagine it, it would be some combination of, a, let's say, communitarian aspect and ideally some aspects of meritocracy or nepotism, as you said, but where some of the aspects that then, maybe put it this way, were split into different competing ideologies, technocracies for technology, communism for being nice and sharing stuff in its idea, you know, capitalism for inventing stuff. It was kind of split if maybe before it was actually a cohesive whole and just a completely, you know, different level of order of the system, if you can catch my drift, where it was integrated and later you can sell its parts and pit the population against each other. Right. And there's also a certain amount of wordplay that I noticed when I made the video, 
afterwards, there's a lot of comments from people who said, ah, and, but then they would refer later that, oh, I, he, he, then he defined the word because um, most people don't know the definitions of words. And I don't mean that in like a disrespectful way to people, but just, it's true. Way. I mean, there, there are a lot of people that are, um, they use the accepted terminology or they have common usage or something like that. That is never, if you were in a courtroom, you're going to use the black law dictionary definition of a word, or you're going to use maybe the etymological de de uh, definition of a word. And you can bring into, you know, to, to common usage as a, as a thing that was said, if someone said something in court, you'd be able to translate it into. Or I even heard you bring words. your own definition list to actually agree on what each term means. <laughs> and that's and that's and that's how all philosophers start. Is the, so you look at uh, Chardin. Terrard Chardin has a dictionary that he wrote to define every single word along the way. Spirit. I mean, how big is Geist? You know, Hegel's Geist. You know, so the idea to, to try to define a word is, but scientific political uh, etymological definitions those are the three that matter and i mean at least in terms of uh, political science or philosophical conversation so he would use a word like uh, capitalism referring to the soviet definition political science soviet definition of capitalism which has more to do with usury than actual capitalism and then remember later that traditionalism performed trade and capitalist uh in the more etymological sense uh, and literal sense so some people were confused on that i know that that's an important distinction for a lot of people in political science similar with democracy democracy is a fascist dictatorship where the majority oppresses the minority and all self-determination is removed now i'm not saying that like happy or sad that's just like that Russia versus Russia versus US. I love this line. Was something along the lines of, if I get it right, authoritarian leadership, something along the lines versus totalitarian democracy. And I was like, <laughs> Yeah. I, I wish mean, it, it were not true, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then I think you also talked about teleologically, um society the Lanticism has a a, a omega point that it's trying to lead us to. And it's interesting when you, critically, when you critically analyze our Atlanticism, all of our sci-fi and futurist films, and granted you could blame Greek tragedy because there has to be a, a rise and fall. But I mean, still, there's never been a cyber dystopic a utopia film. They're all dystopias. They're all about the future will be terrible unless we return to traditionalism. The answer is always in these cyberpunk movies to return to traditionalism, to remove yourself from this future glitch anomaly, which will bring you away and deviate you away from traditionalism. So that's from Hollywood. That's not even Wally, right? Is this I mean, reverse psychology? psychology. <laughs> Wally is an Arabic word. There's something I have to remember if Wally meant a, a servant or automaton. There's another, that's a, there's a huge connection with Wally to this as well in terms of the, the Arabic state ascending protector their, protectors there. Yeah. Something like that. Well, it's funny because I was in this like philosophy 101 course. Uh, I did dual enrollment in high school. So my junior and senior year, I was doing college classes in high school and other shit and nine 11 happened. Um, and I was in this philosophy course and this guy who looked like fucking MC Escher, who actually has my birthday and same big three in, uh, astrology, which is cool. But, uh, this guy who, you know, like Colonel Sanders kind of beard or whatever, he's like, how do we know the, the talent, you know, these guys are who's right and who's wrong, kind of getting into moral perspectivism or whatever. It's like, and I mean, that, that's the hard 
point because on the one hand, America wants to sell sell the idea that we're, you know, like you were saying, democracy, what does that even mean, right? That we're basically like a media gluttonous, um, selfish, kind of pornographic nation, essentially. And if and not to really justify, you know, the hyper material. Yeah, exactly. I think they're reacting to that in a sense. And then it's like maybe their reaction or, you know, the political front of the Trojan horse that is their reaction or however this cookie crumbles with Taliban and 9-11 and all that. Um, I'm not saying it's justified, but it's understandable where it's like, hey, if you really think that like, you know, Las Vegas is on fire and they're going to cause everybody to go crazy and like, you know, do quaaludes and fuck each other or whatever. Worst case, you know, devil the devil or whatever. Um, but there, but there's a consequence to hypermaterialism. So I have criticisms. That is, that is of consequence. I, well, <laughs> I have I have criticisms of Dugan in certain or of his his theories in certain respects as well because you know he's so full traditionalism that he's not compensating for countercultures or not to say he's not because he also is aware that in America there is half of the country engineers trumping the whole counterculture no, thing. It's it's plausible, but the thing is, you know, he imagines it in the same way that the Soviet Union had a counterculture that he was a part of. There's a desperate need by the geist, the spirit, in order to to free itself, to make more choices for itself, the more it understands its scenarios and awareness of itself. So eventually you have all of these kids who are educated. The inevitability of the Soviet Union was more and more uh, or less and less restrictions on the human spirit because they were educating these kids in universities and they were teaching him so much. Of course, this was going to happen. And you've got a guy who speaks six languages. So he's speaking to six different Soviet statesmen from six different. I mean, of course, this is going to happen. What's so, your theory on the decline in that sense? Because it seems like, you know, get, if you go back to, I mean, it's tricky because I'm not into Russian politics that much, but like, obviously Tsar Nicholas II gets killed. There's some revolutions a few years later or around that time or whatever. And then they kind of go into a materialist, atheistic, at least on the front, dark ages. But right. so they boost up their certain economy of mind or whatever, um, even though he's thinking that there's this traditionalism. Because I, I, I don't know enough Russians to be able so to be there like, were, they, So there were secret the Orthodox Russian Christians that existed throughout the times the Soviet Union existed into his lifetime. And you have to imagine – quietly having these church ceremonies private underground super under literally underground a lot of time in basements and things like that and there were churches in certain places that were available but for the most part yeah it was being uh shut down now there is another side to that the soviet union did have a legitimate uh concern about pedophilia about conspiracy about mafia about control organized crime being controlled by these opulent, uh, corrupt figures in society. Now they sometimes were actors. They sometimes were uh, church. And this is the important. This is one of the biggest lessons he taught me. Actually, is that intelligentsia is not the property of the bourgeoisie. And in a lot of ways, we imagine that the roles and function of a society belong to the people that do those roles. Not true. Someone else could do that job, and an entire different cast might have to pick it up. Men can breastfeed, okay? So if if at some point in society... Uh, I did not know that for the record. Yeah, look it up. But it, it, if it's necessary to happen, like if your wife dies and you're a caveman, like, you know, society will make it work. Biology will make it work. You know, We do have mammalian... For a whole other... For a whole other transhumanist debate or discussion. But the, 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 the truth is that intelligentsia right now belongs to 
the uh, American celebrity left uh, politics. Sean but Penn, it, man. But but it's it could have belonged. But it could have belonged to the Orthodox priests. Now it did at one point. Was that better? Maybe to an extent, because certain Christian and Muslim figures like mullahs, they were educated to be uh, self-giving and aware, maybe. But I've seen a lot of problems with intelligentsia in the hands of the church as well. So it's hard to say that it would just be better because it would belong right. to some no, traditional Maybe yeah. to give some positive takeaway and kind of at least round off my you know, desire to inquire about this interview again. I think he did a great job. And also interesting to note that he was speaking a lot in comparison, but that's good. He's a professor, you know. I tried to give um, him six questions because I knew he was going to do that. Nice. Yes. Um, so now, of course, I completely lost my train of thought uh, with whatever I wanted to round this up with. Yeah. Continue, Jim. <laughs> oh, wait. Well, well really quickly, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to answer the hyper-materialist bit really quickly because the thing uh, is in the West that I think he's missing is hyper-materialism leads to, and this is a great function of technology, a complete disregard to material. So if you're thinking of your grandfather's violin that you've been saving so you can play music, it's no longer the same thing. Now you're just trying to get a new iPhone every six weeks so that you can play the song. The song matters. So the material to hypermaterial transcends into the Dvapara um, energy, you know, yuga. You know, so we're, we're ending the material for them by doing this. Yeah. So actually hypermaterialism destroying materialism or just, yeah, very interesting, destroying itself. Very suicidal tendencies there. Now I know my point, which is maybe the positive takeaway. And I think if this analysis is correct, it would be, you know, cause for a great jubilee or something. And even Putin uh, recently talked about this in a speech and Dugin kind of confirmed this idea that now we may actually, for maybe the first time in a long time, be entering a multipolar world. And in my book, this is all we need because as soon as we have the slightest degree of respect and attempt of understanding of other opinions and perspectives, at least I have enough faith in humanity and so on, that if different opinions are allowed and perspectives, people can understand and realize for themselves. So I think this could be amazing and much better than a uni or bipolar or tripolar or whatever world is when actually, you know, the different voices can be heard again, because again, I trust that people can make the accurate choice for their own life and their own society. Well, it could, it could be really useful. It could also, I mean, in general, objectively, it will slow down progressive. Um, yeah, but what, I mean, this was discussed. What kind of progress? The fact right. that NASA is not giving us shit for 70 years and losing yeah. the technology to go to the moon. I mean, <laughs> you know. And, and and social progress as well. So the idea of transhumanism, transgenderism, all these things will be... What that kind progress of, is that? In which direction well, is that progress? That's why I, I'm making, excuse me, rabbit ears right now. I mean, this is... <laughs> we are talking about progressivism. It's, you know, it's capitalism capitalist ism communist ism these are it's it's a brand name thing but yeah it will slow down progressivism but we will still have to worry about it anyway because at some point or another the there will be exchange unless you full-on isolate each other completely then there will be crossover so there's there's no way to really stop there's no really you can't completely just freeze time and things will continue to evolve. The, the hope is for me, I, at least that post-humanism will be fought against by transhumanists because there's a difference there between the idea of 
extending the human condition so that you you live as long a human life as well as possible and as long as possible but really as well as possible is the most important thing compared to becoming unhuman and that's the next thing so many people think that transhumanism is to become neural linked and all these other things that's really the beginning of becoming a new thing beyond human not just beyond human but a, apart from human and so there, there is, there should be um, particular care because this is happening. This will be a, a factor of the future. And I hope that a multipolar world will delay that at least a few generations. But because posthumanism is really, you want to stop it as much as possible uh, in order to yeah, extend the condition. Otherwise, I mean, there's, there's, there's of course, there's benefits to us having slaves. And that's the best thing I can see about post-humanism because humans themselves not having to do things is humans love that. They love to be, and if something could have enough humanity in it to function creatively and, and efficiently, but also to not have the human condition of freedom and spirit, then it would be exploited and used. So it's a very dangerous precedent that we're setting by allowing for post-humanism to just be lumped in with extending the human condition as transhumanism they're trying to jump off the train tracks altogether uh, in a sense i mean like uh, um it's funny because i guess we need some balance it's i mean i think we're designed to work that does not mean let's all make you know go to gulags and shit i don't think that's what we want uh, or need really but it seems especially being here doing you know a couple hours of work here uh work day here at this guy's place um cyber gulag is paradise uh I honestly, I don't know. I think it starts twerking, uh, twerking, um, your dopamine and serotonin uptake. And I, this is kind of the argument of, I mean, I guess the prodigal son of the West or whatever has gotten so lazy and extort, um, kind of, how do I put this? Well, metaphored, well, metaphored. We expect like less and less work. And I guess some of the traditional values is like, you know, earn your keep or, you know, it gives you a sense of accomplishment, but also I think it makes you grateful for some things. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes says that vanity, vanity, all is vexation of spirit. The only thing valuable yeah. is is to enjoy the fruits of your labor. Says the king. Wanting labor. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but that does not mean you want to like, you know, sit around with fucking oog face all day and like barely get a fire going. We want to like, it, that's what I'm saying. Technology is dope, but like over-reliance on it makes us weaker in spirit and ultimately more addicted to the things that I think cause us to degrade faster. I mean, there's Man, a you sound not- just like Alexander Dugan. That's what his concern with the internet is. Well, it's made us dumber. I mean, that, that was the whole reason that I guess it was Plato or Socrates or somebody was like, don't write this shit down. It makes you retarded or whatever, right? It's like, talk about yeah. it. Um, but yeah, it seems like we're just playing into our um, our demons or however you want to put that if all it's like, so about- it's so brutal and then mockingbird is doing well as you say it's i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you off but the mockingbird aspect there is that they're making sure that we are following a narrative because they're projecting this and we call it predictive programming but it i mean it is it is um hypnotic programming it predictive a- seems like the wrong word it is, it is definitely yeah goal or <laughs> thank you Gosh, you're so good at that. Goal-oriented stories. That's and that's what a um, in when we're working in making programs and we're doing any sort of design for like the Open Network Foundation. We call 
any bug before it's a bug, if we're going to build a new thing, we call it a story. It's not a problem. It's a story. And we're building a story. And so we see this. I mean, this is kind of like you saw the Zelensky show is on Netflix now. Uh, the president of Ukraine, you guys know the whole backstory. Like he was maybe in Europe. This is no. more common. Americans barely get this. So like, yeah, he was an actor before. Meh, 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 meh. He ran. Okay. The party is called servant of the people in Ukraine because they named their political party after the TV show servant of the people, which stars Zelensky as this guy who was a president, uh, he's a high school teacher and he gets on, they catch him on YouTube ranting about the problems in the country and wouldn't you know what everybody votes for him. And the oligarchs let it happen. It's on Netflix. You got to watch it. You can also see the second season on um, YouTube, but the subtitles are a little weird. So you got to practice your Russian. It's going to be important in the next generation. So the point is the show starts with him coming in and he cleans up Ukraine right? and he, he gets in there and he's like, what's all the problems? And they show, he goes to the oligarchs and the oligarchs talk down the way to the union and they're, they're taking a million, a billion to a million to five million, you know, all the way down to a couple hundred, $30,000 to pay the union. Cause they haven't paid anybody in six months. And then they say, dude, we're selling the scrap metal to feed our families. Cause you're not paying us. We're not, we'll finish this in a month. As soon as you pay us, like, otherwise we have to feed our kids. When it goes back up the way, we need a billion dollars in two years. And he just fires everybody and he goes in there. But the show is so perfectly aesthetically programmed. And it makes you understand why all the other shows in every other country suck. Because they were they put all their best people on this, clearly. Like they're the best writers in the world. You've got curb your enthusiasm stuff, spin city stuff. It starts off like Roseanne. I don't know if they literally the Russians, right? They must have gotten the notebooks from Roseanne. The spies must have been on the set. You know, I don't know what else because they have the lighting is just the hair lighting is perfect. And the shirts, the same John Goodman shirt on the dad and the mom's walking around and she's the only one who knows what's up. And the phone rings. I don't know if you remember Roseanne, but the phone always rings and she knows what to. So the show goes on with this is like literally starts off with this. You have to remember in Eastern Europe, Roseanne's being syndicated. So the last show that they watched besides ALF and Quantum Leap and Star Trek Next Generation was Roseanne. So they're they're thinking to themselves, you know what? We're kind of like America in the Roseanne time already. And that's not an accident. You know, they, they've already set them up to be as quickly as possible progressing on the path that they've used us to experiment upon in order to guide Americans the fastest towards the correct centric progressivist goal. And so all of a sudden you have the same ideals, Atlanticism ideal. Yeah. And you've got the Atlantean ideals and you've got this, uh, spin city, uh, Michael J Fox looking president, you know, he's always there. It's literally spin city outfits and they're, there's just, he hires his best friends, from the Leninist uh, camp Boy Scouts that he was at as a kid. And he, got, he has his art, but they're all, the other thing is they're all Jewish and they're connected with Israel. And, you know, so you, you see that these, the Armenian um, friend and his other friend, that there's a, there's a collective connection there. They're also speaking Russian in a Ukrainian show, which shows you that they're trying to market this at Eastern Ukraine. Cause they already have what like West Ukraine, Polish Ukraine is, you know, they're already happy to be Ukrainian, but Eastern Ukraine, the Donetsk Republic, they're not. And they're trying to say, hey, a lot of you guys want to be Russian, but you don't want to be part of the Russian Federation. 
we're going to be your Canada, you know, and that's basically the show. And along the way they say, Oh, we're not going to join. I mean, there's an episode where they try to join the European union. It's this twilight zone nightmare. He wakes up the next morning and everyone's gone. The whole country's left because it's open. And he just, he's riding his bike around. He grows out his beard. There's ducks in the white house and the Ukrainian equivalent. He gets a call from Angela Merkel and she's like, you've done it. There's no more crime. There's no more pollution. You've, you saved it. Now we just have to move it. Your birth rates down. We'll have to move in some refugees. And he's like, ah, I mean, the show is straight up brutalist propaganda on every level. And then all the while you've got this prime minister character. And of course the prime minister of, Russia during Medvedev's term was Putin because he had to do this thing where he left office after two terms and he came back to office. But the whole time he wasn't president, he was prime minister. So people think of it as the Putin presidency, but Medvedev is important. But the prime minister in Ukraine is similarly this uh, Yurkovich or whatever they call him. He's this character kind of similar to the former president who was disposed and he's connected with everybody and all the judges are connected to him and all of them are related. And they tax, they bring in the tax, everybody, his daughter, who's on a, you know, iPhone tweeting herself, she owns a nuclear power company and the grandmother of the other guy owns this, you know, refinery. And so all of this is done by these different family members and their taxes are not being watched. And so they go through and they show how they're going to clean up the tax system and they bring Ukraine by the end of the sh- series up to being like Clintonian America, where there's super transparency, super bureaucracy. Everybody's who's in charge are these new generation, 20 year old kids, you know, out of college in Ukraine and they've gotten rid of the old system. And people saw that and they said, wow, uh, we want this. And they voted for it and he became president and he used the money again Zelensky made this show himself. He wasn't just the star. He has the company. Uh, I think it's called Zoltavon or something like that. There's a, I, there's a name for their production company. And he releases this show along with other He's a professional dancer. And looking back just before the show, the kids who are now grown up watched Paddington Bear. Paddington Bear's voice was dubbed by him. As, so even if you haven't seen his face as a child, you remember the bear with the cute, with his, and you just like that for whatever reason. And into their psyche from all sorts of angles. Basically, um, but, is what you're I mean, he may, I may well believe that he's, you know, a multi-talent in many respects. But isn't there? I learned about this through the the Duran. If you heard about this podcast, who greatly rose Duran. in popularity, Alexander McQuire. recommended. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I have a good interview with Alexander Mercurius from the Duran that you should see at some point from about 2015 or 16. Oh, wow. All about Ukraine conflict back then. Great. Okay, of course, on target. And even I realized that, you know, in 2014, there were some small, they called it Friedensmannwache, so like peace vigils in Europe all over. And I even attended them. And I mean, there were like, you know, 30 people, you know. And it was actually triggered by this initial conflict issue. But the mainstream media, you know, completely blocked it out for for many years so yeah this is kind of the some of the, you know different type of information to maybe give a bit of a propaganda antidote but he also talks a lot about or they talk a lot about zolomoisky or gonzalo lira who's on there sometimes talk about him so there is a apparently very real and very close connection which kind of shows that you know he's a plant 
even by official Ukrainian standards or something. And then you add in what you mentioned, which very much makes it seem like a you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 year plan, like I want to say with Obama, for example, and probably most of the presidents, you know, to groom someone, make the right connections and put him in at the right moment. Because I mean, if you have this type of advantage to be in a kid's show, and then, you know, all of this, I mean, it's well, I mean, it's, it's just so much more. I mean, I've been using the word audacious a lot. Maybe I'm too Bill and Ted, but it just seems like so audacious because they've been doing this for so long. We all know we've seen JFK. And if you ever listen to um, people from America in the 50s and 60s who watched versus listened to the debates, everyone who listened on the radio to the debates between Nixon and Kennedy knew that Nixon won. Nixon won. Yeah. But if you watch the debate on TV, everyone who watched on TV knew that JFK won because it was the visual versus. Yeah. And it was. And you could dub people. And so that started to change the way things worked. And you'd start to have people. I mean, Hollywood uh, is it? D, Washington, D.C. is Hollywood for ugly people. As time goes on, you can make a show about a person using the best Hollywood actor. And then you say, oh, that's kind of like me. And that's kind of the – I'm like that guy from The Office. So I can conform to the need to fit into the office role and mentality. And similarly, that guy is like my boss, right? So they can they, – Hollywood used to do that, and that's fine. But Ukraine's so small. And the show even goes into the point. It's, it's very true. They arrested a lot of people. And a lot of people were related to other people that they had used for their, you know, whatever offshoring accounts. So those people were arrested. And a lot of people were not allowed to be part of the new governments, especially then every few governments got disposed, right? Every government after. So the one right before it, everyone involved with that government, a lot of those people we're not welcome in the in the new government in 2019. So there only were so many people in Ukraine that could do the thing. It's just it's just so crazy though to actually use the actor instead of to get uh, the guy the actor was supposed to play. And, but at the same time, it also makes him more disposable because if the Ukraine conflict doesn't work out, which by the way is, was pretty clear that Russia is winning the Ukraine. I mean, sorry, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be a jerk. And I love Ukraine, and I'm not like saying that I want Ukraine to be like for me as a citizen of Kazan Tip. You know, I love Crimea, and so for me, the 2014 crisis was where I lost it because I was like, I'll never get to go to the Soviet Burning Man that is Crimea's Kazan Tip. This is the most important festival in Eastern Europe. It represents freedom, and if you really get into Kazan Tip. And how Kazan is the capital of Tartaria. And while and Kazan also means the cauldron, the mixing cauldron. We call America the melting pot. This is all this stuff. They think it's because a wizard uh, built the, uh, the city on top of a cauldron, on top of a volcano. You know, the energy systems. Like, there's a lot there. There's a reason why Crimea was taken first. It's not all a metaphor. It's not all just Eurasian geopolitics. Like the fact that they needed the port is really important. Brzezinski's correct. We have to do this for the multipolar world. But there's a reason why we talk about Tartaria because it is this this bigger thing. And Kazaria, the Tomga, the Ukrainian area, this is all the center of Tartaria, the, the epicenter of where control and the land continent was at that time. So, you know, the anyway, the Ukrainian show, you got to see it. I'm not kidding. It's really important. It's funny. It's hilarious. But really, it makes you just really proud again? of it's called Servant of the People. Okay. So that's the whole political mantra. 
it's brutal, man. He rides a bike to the White House every day, you know, whatever you call the 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 government building. And it's it's just it's not just funny. It's also predictive of everything along the way. I mean, second season starts out with him being hunted down in some Hunger Games thing, and it's his birthday for some Masonic style ritual prank that they're pulling on him where they bag his head and stuff and they 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 continually show how they use television as a weapon they weaponize mass media against corruption or just transparent they use transparency and because they're connected with all these global figures the imf you know they're there's just it's a really important show to really understand the ukrainian conflict but not just that it makes you wonder more about mockingbird predictive programming because this is this is the best example i think i've seen yet of just turning something into reality from tv and it was everyone in ukraine knows it it's not like here we're like oh that's kind of weird because he was on a team no if it was if it was a guy in a japanese commercial about it and he became president that'd be kind of weird that'd be kind of normal for mockingbird here's straight up ukrainians said yeah we want this we want to be like it is on TV, we understand American media manipulation and we want to be a part of it. I mean, that's a really interesting way. I mean, there it's not, it's, I, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's just a fact there. I like that. And I guess they look at it. This is the hard part I've always found with um, kind of post American imperialism or Western society stuff where it's like, I mean, we're kind of getting there where it's like, Hey, India, Hey, Russia, Hey, China, whatever. Um, you don't need to do what we're doing because it's not all that it's cracked up to be. <laughs> like we're miserable and we're alcoholics. And you know, you see what I'm saying? It's like most people are just hanging on in quiet desperation. There's the Pink Floyd line about English people, but I think that's kind of the general feeling a lot of the, for a lot of people. Um, it's funny because this is a Hierophant card episode, but um, we don't have to go down this rabbit hole really, but it's like uh, the Hierophant's whole headpiece is very like, oh, this is a fish helmet kind of thing from Atlantis Waters. Oh, this guy, Gilgamesh style, kind of came out of the water with his hat. And, oh, my gosh. So I, in a weird way, it begets the question. It's like, what's not a feedback loop of cultural programming? I mean, that is what language and culture do to us. They hardwire us to perceive certain realities. So whether it's Gilgamesh or it's just it's the the, the gear or whatever um, is tightening so quickly now that it seems to be manifesting real time. Uh, and like you said, they've had a few generations in a sense, we've been weaponized, um, and sedated and kind of like, they know what the long-term, I mean, long-term, they know what like medium term consequences of certain mind control projects are. It's called television, you know, programming, television programming. They've known this for, they use it in the language itself, um, of describing the modus operandi through which this stuff influences our brains. And the pro the weird part is it's, it's hard not, it's about balance. Cause it's not like, I'm not a Luddite, right? Technology is not bad, but it's like, at some point, just hyper-stimulation and just like Pandora, you know, huffing from Pandora's box just for the sake of it is like only so helpful. So, it's, but this is how, I mean, the maybe hopefully, ideally, we learn moderation through these kind of extreme times where it's like, okay, look, maybe everything the CNN and Fox News says isn't correct. Well, that's one, I mean, we're probably all in that wave to a degree, but that wouldn't have been a popular sentiment in 2000. You know what I'm saying? They're like, oh my gosh, dangling chads. Oh my gosh, 9-11. So it's taken a while to get to this point, at least in the West. I, do you think, um, I mean, you're still in America. I'm checking out other spots, but I'm not really like expatriating particularly. I'm, I'm looking at Brazil. Brazil. What's up in Brazil? Do you know? 
Well, the mosquitoes Election, that are like engineered elect, or some shit. Elections in October. There's a lot of interesting stuff in Brazil right now. Also, the lidar. Uh, they just took out so much of the rainforest in the north that you can find now. I mean, lots of lost ruins are going to start to appear. This is the chance to find them. You're gonna get all archaeologists on us like that. Gotta, you gotta go. Gotta go full Indiana Jones. It's like Forrest Gump, oh, Indiana Jones. Yeah. Uh, Forrest Company, uh, Forrest Jones. That sounds like a bad porn star name. Um, so I'm curious. Uh, uh wait, what... you said so with the land power and the water power, really quickly. So oh, yeah, here's yeah, the yeah, thing, and it's also, and also one of the reasons why I, uh, I'm Wasn't one of that my like critics... a linguistic differentiation. The whole bar exam, Jordan Maxwell thing is like yeah. they've defined their terms as box such saga. So only for the game. The box yeah, go saga ahead. goes into that as well. Um, but uh, the thing is, you look at why Kazan was so important to Tartaria and why it's, you know, what, what about it was interesting to Dugan is that it was this milieu or matrices, uh, matrix of different cultures that are interacted, which is why there could be an air culture because the interaction is the relationship. That means that the Persians and Chinese and the, you know, and we're using words we don't need to use because they're not real words but why the people who call themselves russians today could say that they had touched the hand and touched the hand and touched the hand of the of the trade agreement that happened at some point so the same thing has happened and again with the word cauldron and melting pot america being this mixing pot we talk about multipolarity multipolarity will lead to stagnation of progressivism but it will also lead to a specific location that's the fourth world and the fourth world will be not the first or the second or the third, or maybe they'll be the fifth, we'll call it now. But it will be a thing that is able to communicate with all of these in neutrality. And that thing will progress dangerously. And so we'll see. I mean, this is how America happened, how America became so valuable, because it was the land power of the maritime naval power. When the Virginia Company and the, you know, these, if you measure how small England is, but how enormous Great Britain was. And this connection to taking over a land power meant that people from all of these other places could come through the maritime system, through the Navy, to America, and then they could interact. And, you know, I'll have to talk to someone way more pessimistic or critical than me to find out why I'm wrong. But I still believe that the American melting pot, uh, a fusion of cultures, was, uh, I'm so scared to say beneficial. Um antagonized growth and i think this is something that's lost a lot of the time people think oh wow the proletariat and the bourgeoisie and the you know the elite and the poor and the middle class like we we need certain people to live these crazy lives in order to do crazy things and it's you can even say it in a better way like an autistic person might need a cast of workers around them in order to be an idiot savant and if someone like a great mathematician can't farm I don't believe that they should be killed. I think we might need someone to farm extra who's really, really good at farming or automate farming to get it off the table so that we can still reap the benefits of this person who cannot function in modernity. And so this is the thing when we want to say function in society, it's modernity. So this might be something that I, I think I disagree with, with Dugan, but we haven't really discussed that to that extent. Uh, but that's my my concern is that modernity isn't the same as uh, futurist. We we could still provide for allowing some of these. We could reap some of the benefits still. 
Didn't he have a similar concept with the idea? I think he referenced like the Indian caste system that it would that there would be a natural hierarchy. Because now the issue I found in my mind, you're talking about this, would be if we excluded the sacred, you know, there is no more alimony or anything for the shaman or for the teacher or for the village elder, which we would desperately need. You know, I don't want to say how many things this would improve, um, but that's kind of the issue. But in his mind, it seemed to me like those individuals would be supported, maybe not in the same way. And, you know, maybe according to a different rule set, this can, of course, be a question. Whereas I would still say, ideally, we could adopt a technological um, and organizational aspect to such an extent that we wouldn't need to worry about scraps in terms of, you know, who can get the little excess we have. But I think we could be very generous, actually, if we were to organize more effectively. This is one of the reasons why I think technology is not the enemy of traditionalism and that it can be, you know, and of course, traditionally there was technology. And so Tartarianism refers to this idea that there already was something higher than there is in modernity. Yes, before. but technology with some understanding of sacredness, I would say, even just looking Absolutely. at the Does architecture, it, you know, it's kind of obvious, right? The, the, Compared right, to CIA block works, you know, or Right, exactly, because this idea that we have to completely reject the benefits of the Orthodox or the, or the elite, right, because the elite built these beautiful temples, so we have to reject the beautiful temples with them is a bad idea. And we end up with this very brutalist, architecture which then projects on our own ontology and our own reality and what we believe is is important but there's of course you don't a problem like Kanye with this. You pen out of Malibu? it's great right it's <laughs> like <cement laughs> you could i square. i'm, I'm like, a weird I guy square. i like cement squares because i can project video on them so i i don't know but you think about hey, the, you're the queerest uh, moon i think yeah no i'm leo yeah yeah aquarius moon leo rising sorry anyway um all three no, wait, is it leo, i'm a leo rising and leo moon i'm a double leo like, like find that out 4 20 p.m santa cruz california oh, 4 20 p.m february 18th 1989 yeah i'm not kidding it's like on the birth certificate yeah cesarean they had to make sure it was exactly that moment it's not even my fault um so if you think about Brzezinski talked about the, the he said, the, yeah, right. He said the elite had to have a special class that were outside of the rules of everyone else. You know, sirens on ambulances is a good example. They can pass through red lights. This is a dangerous precedent, according to Dugan and a lot of people, this idea that there's a caste system that's above or below. Certain so privileges. it's maybe... And this is cla where classism comes from is the word caste because the Portuguese being involved with slavery. So we should be looking for a better idea than casting. Uh, there's probably the way we look at managerial theory and there's organizational structures that we should look at more because it's not true that it's like alpha, beta, gamma, delta, that these are above and below each other. And especially it won't be true with the aid of technology because if we can completely remove most of the labor and most of the the war that we've just annihilated the values added to the um, untouchables to the war the the rajestic warrior class and to the farmers so then all you have left really is, you know when you start to really think about it is it will become about administration which will become more through technogionism automated like the, the wind will carry the seeds on the drones in certain respects there will be things that naturally occur to the point that we won't need to control them so administration will start to fade away so if that's the case then the most natural thing will be a cast of humans who are spiritual 
and philosophical. And they're there basically to ask questions to the calculators because the calculators are going to be bored without them. And I mean, I don't know what your concept of humanity is, but I would say that generally this is like the greatest potential, you know, humor and philosophy for humanity as a species, even if we just compare it to dolphins, let's say, not talking about other high intelligence potentially existing species. But this really seems to be the grand quality. And I, yeah, and I mean, everyone should still be allowed to farm, you know, but you don't have to because for what, you know, like. <laughs> and, that, and then you look at the Incan society we were mentioning earlier and this idea that, you know, there wasn't money. There was food growing everywhere naturally because, you know, there are avocados and there's the rainforest. Take your pick. Mangoes, but then they still, but then they still had amazing That's agriculture. But they still had amazing agriculture and architecture because these people were still working because that there was a a kingdom which was really an enterprise and he had this there would be grain storage there'd be these ter- uh, terracing of hills and they would work and be part of these systems even after the it's fact that there was no informed. yeah I mean they were having a great time I, I mean, I don't, so the point is that well, society continued to progress without yes, yes. well a po- think- a po- and, Apocalypto, and I'm glad you brought it up, refers to a point right around the same time that there are plagues in Europe, that there are famines, that there are people killing each other in Europe. There is no difference between any place in the world in the 15th Yeah, no, it's, it's a period of time. There, was, there were plagues and famines. So what else is new? I mean, the, the rest of the world was experiencing that. If you go back 100 years before that, nothing was like that. Uh, apocalypto movie that is a specific time and place right and it kind of argues against i guess in a sense a mayan um i get, i think it was mayans in that movie uh a mayan kind of it, it, it's hard to explain because it's kind of saying the center can't hold the empire crumbles you know the higher fan isn't always going to be on top and you lose your magic and it's getting into the local kind of not communist but it's like local tribalistic thing in tune with the spirit of the land and then this oppressive kind of soulless force was just kind of feeding the machine just like i mean i don't we don't need to talk about the oscars necessarily but it's like hollywood glamorizes itself so much that it's become this thing that has to feed constantly on the souls of people's attention and i'm not sure i saw your uh, meme on apm about um it's not this hand it's that hand kind of thing like uh, check it out um what are your uh, well, let me start here. Do you is it, have we said all we wanted to say on these things? Uh, can we shift gears or do you not? We can. Yeah, I mean, well, at very least I have to, I have now that you said Will Smith and I'm sure that Raf well, we want to continue. Touch, this is the first I time just, I've touched Let me this. let me just yeah. say though, I think it's amazing and indicative of our social structure that there are so many people asking whether or not and trying to tell you that that something they saw these two actors do. This one moment in these two actors' lives that might have been not pretend the first and last time that they weren't acting in front of you, right? That, that there might've been a real thing that they accomplished that for one second, that it wasn't scripted. That, I mean, that is amazing that this is literally where society's at. And it's, it's, I didn't care about the Will Smith thing, but the more I think about it, I care about how people responded to it because it's amazing that they're looking at the wrong hand and not paying attention to the hidden hand while the Ukraine conflict is going on. I figured it would last for 10 seconds. It's still going on. People are still talking about it. I mean, it's just, they're continually trying to dodge the subject of the fact that the Ukraine is not being supported by the West and that Russia is about to win. And the best way that they've been able to do that is to bring all of this drama to the Oscar night that they were inviting Zelensky to, but then they vetoed it 
for obvious reasons. They're no longer going to support. Uh, I mean, it's become a dictatorship, you know, and that he's completely suppressed the media. And Russia's saying, you know, please, transparency of journalism. And Ukraine's like, we'll kill you if you TikTok. So, I mean, there's there's a real big change there. But the other thing is, you remember the pictures of Will Smith and Chris Rock in drag from Saturday Night Live? And they've been friends for decades, like, for the love of God. That was my opinion as to why Sean Puff Daddy Combs or whatever was like, hey, we'll talk about this later. I mean, there's so many levels to it. On the one hand, if we just want to take the the blue pill approach, it's like there's a better way to possibly hand because I I'm at a, I'm not I don't really have an opinion. I'll be honest. I, like my fiance woke up or I woke up two or three days ago, or whatever. And she's like, did you see what happened? And I was like, no. Um, and she's she's like, go watch this shit. And it happened so quick that I was like, kind of shocked. I was like, oh my god, what's the context here? Because I thought I she said it. Kid Rock. <laughs> Like Kid Rock said something. Oh, she said Chris Rock. Great. And I was like, what? Yeah, Why I mean, Chris. So that's the other thing is that the fact that it was Chris Rock and that he just had the ego death tour across uh, you know, Australia, New Zealand. And it's this black, you know, the Black Eye Club thing. And he right, had a lot of, real. you know, Chris Rock had a lot of, you know, they're both Prince Hall. Chris Rock had a lot of problems with the, um, you know, he had a pornography addiction and his wife and all the stuff that happened with him with he did drugs for a little while apparently i don't know so the thing is he probably had a, a roast baptism in front of people and now he's back in the club expect to see a lot more chris rock okay oh, he's back on the uh you tour know, and the real and thing is i hate you know that what i hate is when i'm stuck agreeing with ben shapiro on everything because he's like why are we looking at wanda sykes and amy schumer and you know, Regina Spector or whoever the heck it is, people that nobody remembers or cares about who never had a hit in their lives. I'm really sorry because I'm not trying to be a jerk to these people. I'm just saying it's just really clear that they don't care what people want to see at all. And this, this, it's funny talking to Dugan as somebody who was, he was exhausted and fatigued by propaganda in the Soviet Union. And the in the Soviet Union, they invented the clap button. Did you know that? Because Stalin, when people would clap for Stalin, they would all clap as loud as possible until forever. Unless you stop them, you don't want to be the first one to stop clapping. So they have a applause and a non-applause button. Uh, you know, so America has literally degenerated into the same thing the Soviet Union degenerated into. And it's it's really sad to watch it, really. But I luckily didn't. I, I, the only clip I saw of it was the uncensored clip on Twitter that someone sent me from the Japanese showing. So I did see just that really quick little bit. The other thing well, is... I said, hey, slap! <laughs> well, I mean, and the thing is, it was so... I mean, realistically, it, it, you have to admit, ratings are up. Everybody loved it. So good for them. Well, this disgusting. is the point. They've engineered an event to cause hype. I mean, they know what more, they're doing. It's, more interesting than me just, was I, I... Go ahead. Sir. Yeah. No, I, and I literally didn't know anything about this. Later, I read a bit because I somehow it popped up this 30 seconds or something. Somehow. I was like, okay, whatever. Like, yeah. Algorithm forcing it yeah. on everyone. People are, people even like, on me. People are like, did you see what happened? I'm like getting telegram videos of Russian soldiers uh, and Ukrainian <laughs> soldiers beating each other and women being raped. And I'm just like, uh, yeah, I saw a lot of other stuff than the freaking Oscars. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah so, but just looking at him hitting this other guy, it, it's an obvious like bitch slap. I'm not sure how you call it. Like he's literally hitting yeah, him like, like, yeah, but like this, you know, you can even tell he's doing like this, you know? So it's like, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, so maybe, right. maybe, maybe we are, right. maybe we are not doing the service we ought to because we are supposed to go down rabbit holes and maybe we're supposed to look into the, med the medicine, 
the allegories and symbolism. Right. We'll just get astrological as a within, so without. Because it's not <gasps> He slapped him on the left cheek. Oh you guys remember? Um, no, Putin's a Libra as is Will Smith, and then the guy from Ukraine is an Aquarius as is Chris Rock. So I think there's just like resonance on lots of levels potentially where it's just like, okay, maybe the SmackDown's coming on Ukraine really quick. Yeah, the other thing was the, yeah, clearly. The other thing was the movie was about King Richard, right? Is that what it's called? Um, So I spent the last month or two researching uh, Teutonic black nobility and black tutors and, uh, you know, persons of color in Britain for the last a thousand or so years. And it came up pretty commonly that beyond, you know, if you start to look for black nobility, that there was, you know, the queen um, of England married to Charles the third. What, and so therefore the, all of the descendants since then in the Royal house, including the queen of England herself would have by the one drop rule, black blood because they're associated with her. And the further down connection with King Richard, who was supposedly the Black King of England. And so trying to find movies or data about that, it led me back to this, uh, you know, this movie about, um, you know, Will Smith is just got an Oscar for where he plays the father of Serena Williams and Venus. Well, I mean, that's not really a fair connection. But if you look at the fact that George Washington was allegedly black or part black, a person of color and was married to a woman who already had kids who the kids died and you know he inherited her nobility and everything but his real girlfriend who he really had kids with george washington's girlfriend and, and black slave wife venus and him have a whole line there so there's a whole thing connected with the idea of caribbean black nobility spanish black nobility and moorish uh elite that the British were against because in the, the 15th, 16th century, they became first, there was an alliance with Morocco. And then there was this huge um, anti-Spanish, anti-Arab racism. And it's, it's built into Shakespeare and their mind. It's their mockingbird program. I think we talked about Shakespeare last time, I hope. Um, but yeah, there's a number of, there's a number of, we hate black people because they are Spanish and Muslim. And then that, or that, because they are Moorish and maybe have, actually kind of owned North America or something, you know, or well, have more control than we like or whatever, more clout. That, that's what's that's what's really interesting is because you look at the French and the Arcadian uh, control of America, the colonies were small, the Arcadia was large. So a lot of America at that time was French America and even Spanish America. So if you start really thinking about how many people left Spain, the Spanish Inquisition, who were persons of color because spain was like that they're like we can go out there and you can get as far away from here and why is it that mexican food and certain parts of south america have so many arabic um flavors as well all the way up to mexico it's because the further you could get away from spain if you were black or you were muslim at that time the safer it was for you so they're really yeah the entire of the western hemisphere was just completely and so much of the you know the french government were black uh governors uh, you know it was this it's 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 hard to know we're looking at it now because we have this new racist historical lens so we're trying to see was this person oh, what, what color was this person that wasn't a big deal to the french in the 1600s but it really was to the english because the english had at one point like the portuguese been slaves themselves i think john cleese just got taken off making a joke about how he wanted reparations from carthage for the british slavery or something like that and they just went up and took the microphone out of his hand 
But you can see that there were, you know, clearly slavery is this really ancient thing. There's the Bottoman manumissions in Britain in 1066, I think around the Battle of Hastings, where they free a bunch of slaves. And after that point, Britons are supposed to be too free to have, you know, that a slave couldn't breathe in the air of England or in Britain. That was the the quote that they had. But by the 1500s, there's enough wealth. British are back to shipping around and you have um, Sir Francis Drake and he's connected with John Guy and John Guy becomes a slave and he's whipped in front of his master in England. So there, that's when it all starts up again, but it's, it's all because of the, um, because of King Richard. Which tied back to the Will Smith movie is where that. Yeah, I'm happy. Well, just bonus question: Is he talking about uh, George Washington now? And I'm just randomly asking this question because it's still too much uh, timeline for me to wrap my hand around. Um, was George Washington actually King George? Uh, so he refused to be king, uh, and so there are three Georges that were before him. So it's King George. This I think it's the third who loses America or is it King George the second, but King George the first is the madness of King George. And you also have uh, right after the uh, what's it called? Sophia naturalization act. They removed 64 names of potential Royals who were associated with the Catholic church. And then they go and they find George of Hanover. And so George is German And he barely spoke English. And he spent a lot of his time as king living back in Germany, which at the time was part of the Bohemian Holy Roman Empire. So it was Catholic, even though he was a Protestant. So, I mean, they were, it's, it's super weird, whatever the heck was happening with the, I need to really deep dive how Protestants were allowed to run the Holy Roman Empire, how Catholics were, you know, but they got rid of a lot of the royal family and they brought in this German royal house And so George Washington was likely not uh, related to those Georges, but more likely he was probably a um, son of a Africanized um, colonial and someone who had been his father. You know, they say he cut down the cherry tree. The cherry tree is also the name for the Moroccan flag, which is this green pentagram on a red flag, like an aerial view of a Christmas tree. And so the idea he could not tell a lie. It's a star. It's a fort. It's all of it. So the the idea that he removed the Moorish um, flag and you know became uh, he's part of the British society, started wearing the wigs, started doing the powdering of the face, which was you know you have a lot of people doing that in France because there were a lot of people that wanted to fit in with this look. But you have these pictures of like Maurice Chevier, um, is that right? I think that's so. The black Mozart, and he'll be fencing with a guy and you'll see this picture and it's a, a white guy fighting a woman. But really, if you look at it, it's a black guy wearing white powder fighting a drag queen who is a, who likes to transvestite fence. And so that's, and that was what France was like. Okay. I mean, it's just, it's, just, it's anthropology. It's history, but it's a really, it's an interesting thing. because the black Mozart, you know, he was the, one of the greatest musicians, totally fo- fully accepted, liked to wear white powder. because he wanted to, you know, it's, it is what it is. Well, it's funny that you say that about the white powder thing, because being down here, obviously I'm getting a little sun uh, near the equator. And um, uh, it's it's funny to me because I guess the idea was like, oh, being like pasty and like Japan culture, same idea where it's like um, Japanese culture. They're like, oh, 
it looks like you don't work out in the fields. You're pulling a real Wally if you're pasty, <laughs> like you're 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 plugged in. You don't have to like really work. I hear that a lot, shit. but I hear that a lot. But I look at Queen Victoria and she, or no, I'm sorry, oh. Queen Elizabeth the first, and she had had smallpox or some sort of been poisoned or had um you know she had some sort of terrible disease like to her face. She had these. It just it was bad. So she started wearing mercury laden white paste and that and and that made her bald and so then she had to wear the wig and so the thing is when you look at what is a microcosm of western uh westernization basically it's like i have no clue what i'm doing give me the mercury paint quick um yeah so everyone's like oh she looks so white you know and then everyone else wants to look white too but it could be it could be that mercury poisoning is, uh, I mean, because mercury was in everything. You know, everyone loved uh, lead and mercury. There's Lead was an ingredient in wine, and mercury was you know, used in, everyone loved mercury. Hey, it was the highest excitement of the zeitgeist to fuck around and find out, I guess. So um, it makes me wonder, though, um, beyond certain kind of exceptions, uh, obviously, you know, there was a cultural kind of embargo against being colored and tanned, but then you have you know, people vacationing to get a tan. So it's kind of funny. In, Br- because in, all- in, in Britain, though. So it was really only England that was super, was like, so cloudy. In Ger- Germany was fine with it. You know, you don't even notice about Beethoven, Mozart. You don't notice these things. And, you know, later on, it gets more and more important to say that this was not an Ottoman. This was not a Moor. This was, you know, this is a nationalist rebranding that's happening. The same thing happens, of course, to Muhammad. So white skin is a Basically, it's like Say it again. being called, uh, you know, pale skin or whatever was a Nike swoosh for them. I guess they're like, check it out. Yeah. I'm, I'm brain. I'm in. Brain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you and, and so you have to imagine that your mother was black because your father was a plantation owner and there wasn't a lot of women that came over on the boat at that time with that specific group. This is how uh, Jose Francia was uh, the president of Paraguay. He, you know, the same thing. There's a lot of people that were less racist because they were extremophiles. They would get out of their comfort zone and they would go to their comfort zone was a new place and they would, you know, the sugar plantations and things. So your grandkids, you know, would be partially black, but you couldn't even. So Thomas Jefferson's girlfriend, you couldn't even tell she was partially black. You know, she was completely able to walk around unless someone pointed it out. She was free. And if they pointed out that she was a slave in France, she was completely free. And, you know, this is the family continually. They were like a quarter uh, slave back. But Virginia had made some law. It used to be that your father, you, if you, the father was responsible for the child. So the rights and obligations of the father would fall upon the child. Then they returned to this Roman slave time law in Virginia that said that the mother's rights would fall upon the child. And that meant that if the mother was a slave, then the, the child would be a slave. And this was not acceptable in Muslim culture. Muslims have a lot of rules about the rights of a slave. This was not acceptable in Christian culture. And so it's very interesting to wonder what, who, by whose definition did this become okay? Well, apparently there was a Anthony Johnson was a Africanized or he's a African American. um, No, he was an Americanized African, sorry, from Uganda who had brought his slaves with him. He was an indentured servant in America. You couldn't be a slave. You could only be an indentured servant at this time. And then he was the first person well, there was one guy right before him who had been arrested for trying to escape indentured servitude, and they ended up giving him lifetime servitude. This was maybe two uh, less than a year before. But Anthony Johnson said, hey, I don't 
have to return these guys because culturally where I come from, you don't have to do that. And then they assumed the responsibility of Anthony Johnson. So the first slave was owned by a black slave master in Virginia, in, in the United States or in, in America, because it wasn't the United States yet. But this began the precedent because it was following on the traditions that existed elsewhere. Otherwise, America would never have followed the same rule. And we did have slaves in America before Virginia, but only through the Confederacy of Native tribes, because the Native tribes did have slaves. But again, their their rules were very different as well, because it became assimilation into the culture. The next generation of slave would be free, and you know, there's rules to how it was allowed to happen. It could kind of reset, it seems, with the Native American kind of approach, where it's like, look, this isn't like, we're not going to fuck your whole lineup. We're just going to... The guy who got caught in the booby traps, the one who's getting caught. Everybody else. Right. I mean, indentured servitude makes a bit more sense when you're doing a Virginia company expedition. You're like, okay, well, if I'm going to go with you on a boat to this completely new location that no one's from our culture has ever been before, I promise. Risk reward. uh, It's like an eight year contract. We still do that, you know, in a lot of ways and an exclusive working contract for companies within NDA. And so all these contract ideas. They still exist, but you have to remember like the Dutch East Indies company had black people, had Jewish people, had everybody from all over the world involved. So by the time the English got there, New Amsterdam was already a very diverse place. Uh, they were not anti-Semitic. They were not, they, they were open to all sorts of people. And it was, there was already hybridizations of groups that were interacting. It wasn't until far, far later in the future that the English destroyed the Wall Street you know, wall and became the wall that was of the star fort opened it up, turned that into the financial capital. And then they started to remove everyone who was not part of specific groups. And then by the 20th century, everyone who's Italian lives in an Italian neighborhood. Everyone who's Jewish lives in a Jewish neighborhood. And there's different groups that have been forced together, but that wasn't, you know, originally it wasn't like that. It was completely diverse. Um, Yeah. It was completely replaced by the British. What are your thoughts? Um, I've heard, I mean, this may be not be true. I don't know. I mean, considering how little veracity you give towards the traditional kind of history of man, according, I know Raphael's very against kind of neo-Darwinism and stuff like that. Um, I've heard tale that blue eyes are like 15,000 years old. I've always wondered, because it's like, if you look around the world, it's like most people have darker skin. It seems that white people might even have the mark of Cain, dare I say. It's like, we're this albino weird motherfucking thing. Um, what are your thoughts in terms of that? I mean, you might not have any, I don't really think about it much, but it's like, because of media, television, you know, mockingbird type programming, we've been taught to think that England, uh, especially the map projections that you're taught to think England is pretty much bigger than it is. Africa's fucking massive, right? America fits right. in Africa. Easily. You should see that you saw the Chinese projection. China no. has their own map. I'll send you a link to it. It's put China right in the center and it's expanded everything. It just makes it really easy. Everything's in reach. Like they can just, they, they have to jump across the North Pole to get to America, but it's just, the North Pole is a small little spot. And you got to see it. It's amazing. I think with blue eyes though, the 15,000 year thing is maybe it's newer. Maybe uh, 15,000 years is the oldest. When you start to think about generations, it's more about this many generations have gone by. So what, what's likely is there was one source for blue eyes. It's possible that that's not true because the Hyperboreans are, or something. There are albinos yeah. and there are other, there are anomalous ways that this can happen. It doesn't have to be that everything um, starts from the same source. And we do have hybridization. We see like mammoths have really similar gene sequences to humans. So it shows that there were redhead mammoths and blonde mammoths and 
you know, there, there's a lot of different kinds of mammoths. So those sequences might not be from us consuming mammoths and becoming, um, to gaining that, that, that gene, but it, it also could. And this is something that people have looked into. Morphogenetic more diets. It's like we're morphogenetic diets. Right? What did natives, what did natives believe that if they ate the thing that they'd become the, the thing? Of the the yeah. Yeah, yeah. So maybe there's more truth to that than we realize. Um, we do know that we have a lot in common with beef now because of the fact that we've been consuming beef for so long. So it's more of a question of, of how it works. Vegan kids. Been a hot right. Well, no, but generationally uh, it's human diet. And also because, yeah, I don't know what the whole story, we should look into that more, but there's more for genetics. So, um, I don't think it's evil. If that was what you're worried about, I think you're. No, I'm not. I don't think being white is evil. I'm wondering. (laughs) The thought crossed my mind. I was reading this crazy thing, which is kind of pseudo scientific, kind of Indiana Jonesy stuffs. Like I think it's debunked, but like, what does that even mean? Um, on Wikipedia, where it's it's called Judas Scepter's Judas Scepter and Jacob's Birthright. I think is the book title. I read this shit in 2013, January 2013, when I first came out to Colorado. And even if it's total bullshit, like it's, I was like high on it. It like, you know, like when you read something, when you're like, holy shit, like you never heard. So what what were that. they saying about the birthright? Oh, they're getting uh, into Scythia and basically being like, look, the tribe of Dan is this lost tribe. They're going up to Danube. They're going to Ireland. The right, pillar the mark of-, of Dan, Macedonia. And that's why the lion shield. But what about the, what about the blue eyes and the, mar- and the well, they blessing? Didn't trust that, but they were, well, what, was the the, what was the deal with the, what was the deal with the blessing? Book. The, oh well, the, it's like Judas bless. Okay, so Judas Jacob. scepter. You have the I forget the names now. J- Jacob's whatever Ishmael? it is. Judas, Jacob and Ishmael. Um, is that right? Uh, no, Jacob and Esau. Esau. Um, Esau yeah. So uh, you're cool, dude. And I got the furry arms. I'm always like, I have some fucking Esau hair going on. So um, I'm not. It's been like a decade since I've thought about this. I just was, you know, lit when I was reading it, and I was t- calling my Christian grandparents and be like, "Have you re- read this shit?" And then, of course, later it's like Wikipedia says this is total bogus, and I'm like, "All right, maybe it is." I haven't thought about it till then, till now, from then to now. But the idea is basically going into this whole like, why do you think there's a liar on Guinness beer? It's David's thing. This these laws. Sorry, just for the record, are, uh, yeah. Wikipedia is the epitome of a CIA mockingbird operation. So you know. It's not yeah. a good reference for final judgment. Even there is proof. Is. This is well proven even. You know, it's not a big concern. They help me know which Redwall book to read first. But, or but, which but just what I want to mention, and just briefly bringing it back to the Dugan and the Sacred and so on. Larry so even, Sanger said as much himself. And Larry Sanger basically walked away from Wikipedia for that reason. Right. And if even then, just imagine the immense brainwash. Even your Christian grandparents are not entertaining a thought their own grandson brings to them related to Christianity, but look up on Wikipedia and tell you it's BS. You know, like... Well, they didn't do that. Come, you know? I looked it up. Oh, okay. Like, oh, okay. Okay. I thought it was them. Okay. 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 Anyway, I don't have to go off into this too much. Pretty much, it was given this whole lineage of Dan, tribe of Dan, 13th tribe. Crazy shit. Oh, my gosh. Ireland is this like, they're Jews from Scythia, basically. They went up this way, that way. You probably know about this than I do. But they were getting redheads, some- Jewish, crazy. Um, and just darker skin. They're not all like pasty gingers. It's like sometimes, uh, well, that gets into Spanish shipwrecks and all sorts of weird shit. Yeah, but, but um, you look also into the, before the pre-gales, you have the picks. And the picks were the blue, you know, before the Celts started doing the pick thing and wearing the blue skin. But they used to dye their skin blue with the indigo. And so you had these Smurf-like people that wore these hats that were literally Smurf hats. They're called um, Fergian caps. So the picks with their Fergian caps and they had living homes because they would weave 
during the spring, the giant leaves together and live in these, you know, these communities. And then when the winter came and the, the fall or the fall came and the leaves would fall, then they'd have these giant fires and everything. And they have these rocks and they would heat up and they'd stand around the rocks. We still have carbon scoring to show how far back the pics have gone. But where is their language? Well, there's like three words left in the kitchen. Yeah. That's not right. I don't need to rant on about this much, but the point I was bringing that up is not only is like, alternative histories like you're into tartaria this was kind of that version of this for me where i was like what the actual fuck i've never heard this is this even true like i was just like if this is true this changes everything um but the point they were getting at was lost the, tribes for sure yeah uh, yeah the um the birthright is like i have the right to rule right someone's like so i'm the political arm or whatever um no that's the scepter side of it so judah's scepter is like you have the right to rule you're going to be a king you're the northern kingdom of israel or whatever this whole situation going down whereas the, other the, guy birth, has the right to work uh the birthright would be something to the effect of the pillar which is jacob um or uh what is it uh oh god um esau uh no no the guy um Jacob's ladder, when he went and had right. that dream in Pinel, which is as above, so below. It's Pinel gland. You're having this trip. What's going on here? Um, but anyway, that stone he used as a pillow, basically, um, was sitting under, according to them, underneath the monarchy. Um, the scone stone. That's below. what they use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They, they sit on that. It's called the scone stone. And they, they actually have to, to be crowned. You have to sit upon the scone stone. In the 70s, someone tried to steal the scone stone. I think they got it out. Well, they got it out to the parking lot and they dropped it. And so a piece of it shattered off of it, but the whole road was gravel. So supposedly they lost a piece of the scone stone. This had to have been an operation. I'm sorry. I don't believe that this was an accident. But yeah, they've moved it around. But when the it's Royals. Like the so it's like when, when the Royals get. Yeah, they have yeah. to be. When King, whatever, William or Harry decides, you know, when he gets his crown, it'll be on the scone stone. Similarly, the Japanese have a jelly bean stone, a cool shield made of stone, and a sword that looks like literally Link uh, would use in Zelda. You know, it's it's amazing. You got to you gotta check out this, the, the Japanese royal regalia. It's the, you know, the jelly bean, the sword, and the shield. And they moved it because of the royal, there was just recently an emperor transition for the son to become the emperor. I think it was four years ago now. And they, did they, you could tell this was people in the know were wondering about it. They were, Hey, they moved this. It's been taken off display, you know, kind of like what's going on right now with the scone stone. And then they said, we're, well, we just got word that a very special package was shipped. And so there's all these people in there that found where the scone stone or not scone stone, but the Japanese regalia was set. And then after that, the emperor got very, very ill. Um, and they Mr. Satoshi has gotten the package. They moved it back. <laughs> they moved, they moved things back to the temple and then they had to do, um, but then he was like, he had to, he, ab he abdicated the throne after it. And so now his son has been uh, made emperor and he is the, the, in charge of the temple of the regalia of Japan. Am I tripping or is there a daughter, a Japanese emperor daughter that just moved to New York City? Or is that maybe the son? Somebody was know. like, I'm not doing Japanese stuff anymore. I'm not going to be in Japan. I'm going to New Hook York. Hook me up like, with her. Give, give me the number. I want to meet. Yeah. Uh, New York's not, like compared to Tokyo and other places, New York is not where it's at, I don't think. But I haven't been there in a hot minute. Yeah, I can't um, imagine. Anyway, like, how, Who would go to New York? Like, What kind of like masochistic, like, what would you be about? 
it's a maybe it's no a, offense um, new york i love new york i'm about to do a podcast after this in brooklyn with heshi i'm really sorry new york i love you very much i just great, i'm waiting i'm waiting for heshi to clean i'm waiting for heshi to clean it up a bit so we can have a little bit more freedom uh yeah we need more of those felons picking up the trash on the side of the road going to nyc uh, it's probably not that dirty, but I, I compared to the '80s or whatever. No, you know, I don't. I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem with the lack of freedom now. Like the the new oh, everything, everything that's happened. Yeah, the Orwellian qualities that have happened since Giuliani on have made New York a bit uh, less free. And so you have to imagine, for instance, Heshi Tischler, as a guy I'm going to be on the show with later. He's running in uh, New York in Brooklyn. He's part of the Hasidic community. They were trying to tell the Hasidics they couldn't go into the parks. They couldn't do anything during the COVID time. So all these little Jewish kids that are like kept away from their own community. And this is, you know, it's more ironic. It's just an extra level of irony because they're so sick of this already happening. And they left the pogroms in the first place that now that this is. So he goes in and he cuts the chain to the gate and says, hey, that's it. We're going to have our kids in our community go into our park. That's it. And then they arrested him for it and he, they're like you're trying to fight against the orwellian Cor- orwell the zohar according to david plate right this is all going down it always has to um, be bro <laughs> I, yeah i didn't the whole point of all that diatribe with the judas stuff is like while i was reading that maybe not while i was reading that but at some point i was reading obviously genesis kind of accounts of the mark of um cain and i've always been like well light skin is a pretty obvious mark compared to the rest of the people maybe maybe this isn't a straight up albinism but it's like that's how you would know him from city to city and people would be like oh my god we're not going to associate with you or whatever and maybe that causes this kind of elitist kind of weird cabalism um not cabal you know what i'm saying this kind of like white supremacy weirdness that's been going on for the past few hundred years or whatever's happening yeah but it's like you know also we have to look at that and really analyze it and see is it exactly what we think it is because even then what you have is this bell economy, this bell is uh, is increasing in size because the middle class is the thing that's being paid the most in order to buy from the poorest. Are you, you referring know? a bell curve? You're talking about that yeah, economy? The, bell, the okay. bell curve, bell economy, right. So the more that there is an increase in middle class, where what we're calling middle class is the consumer, the more that there is a consumer. And so we look at wealth and we confuse wealth and consumerism. There's so many people that we're able to consume. And we look at white people and say, Oh, these white people were or pink European people. Cause really it's pink Floyd, not the homogenized whole dark side of the moon poster, which is showing this ray of every person of color. But this idea that the homogenized thing that has conformed is able to become a consumer. And so the first people to do that, in the west were the british because british were slaves britons they weren't slavs so the second people to do that were the slavs and you look at the russia was the last country to centralize its bank in europe which is why it became the most centralized and became a a communist state after the rothschild connections to uh saving um the rothschild banks were being robbed by stalin and the rothschilds were supporting stalin escaping bank prisons so eventually you create the system that says, hey, these people are the elite, but they're not there. You never you don't ever get to interfere with the elite. They don't live here. They don't live in the system. They don't live in the land where the system resides. Like so, the movie uh, Contact with Judy Foster. It's some dude <laughs> up in a plane 
He doesn't yeah, even touch I mean, ground. <laughs> yeah, I use and even let's go further. I use the image of your father to make you more comfortable. That's where contact is really a correct allegory for the systems of power. So this idea that we're looking at um, the elite, it's it's in Star Wars too. Darth Vader is not the emperor. You don't see the emperor until way later. Every really good villain in the Japanese Yakuza movies and anime is the third proxy of villain. You only see the street villain first and you're scared of him before you see his bosses that are scared of their boss, who's the real, and you never see his face. It's just, it's just behind the curtain kind of thing. So, you know, the, the idea that the middle class or the consumer model that was first applied to Britain uh, and then Slavs, that that should be uh, considered this white model is dangerous. And we should really analyze this idea and say, hey, every person of color is, is, a, is, 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 is just as much danger as a, a pink person is of becoming white. Because white means this homogenized system. It's a dangerous thing to play because it's the removal of your culture, the removal of your of your customs. It's your assimilation and submission. And you're, you know, you've lost your language, you've lost your culture. You also lose the ability to think in your if you start to think about how Greeks, for instance, have so many words for love, and we're now stuck with one realize that English is an invented design. Shakespeare invented, you know, half a you know, 500 words or 420 words, right? That were added. People used to speak like Heavy, bro, 420. Yeah, it's crazy. But you look that up, it's the number. And then you, so you find out Will, Will Smith is using this. I want to shine light into people's soul. These are terminology. This is, this is, this is designed in order to get your reaction the same way. So they've controlled language. They've controlled. Um, but Will Smith, I would say his, his collar is white. And that's really the concern that we need to start looking at the the actual diversity that is the Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, all of the rainbow, and not shining homogenized through and becoming what they want us to become, which is like have a cigar, right? By the way, which one of you is pink is obviously like we don't know the band or whatever, but maybe this is some subversive thing. It's like which one of you are going to be economic consumer like horrors and join our, you know. Wally world um before we kind of start winding down and wrapping up uh what are your thoughts about crypto being tied to the ruble now and oil um that's a pretty big shift here going that way and right um, so it's inevitable thoughts? it's inevitable and it's awesome but there's also concern you know so the the russians are traditionalist in um fundamental uh, strategy so it's not their first idea to jump to crypto their hand has been pushed by the international stage to do this because they're not, you can't accept their money any other way. Um, everyone's trying to fight against them t- taking the ruble when telling them that they can't take anything but the ruble. So they're not going to be, I mean, what are they really supposed to do? Just give, give them money. They're not allowed to use. It's basically free oil. So of course they're going to have to take the ruble, but for everyone who's waiting for the West to admit defeat, you know, there's crypto. And so crypto is what the decentralized agencies have been using for a long time. It's the thing that the Soviets, um, the post-Soviets really are, you know, the, the, the Russian Eurasian uh, intel, uh, community, trade community has been focused on for a while. Um, 
their concern is with China because China already has had problems with multi-billionaires who've left China and live off crypto and have become oligarchs. Russia's not super big into the oligarch program. They're kind of upset at themselves for having oligarchs and they've been trying to break that system apart more. So the control of crypto is very important. And one week they'll say, this was a couple months ago, um, crypto is going to be outlawed in Russia. And then the next day they right, say, they're like, we're backing our entire economy on this shit. Crypto is, going to be, crypto is going to be what the government uses. Now that might seem confusing, but it really makes a lot of sense. The government is saying, we're going to do this because we can do this and trust ourselves to do this ethically. And we'll do it transparently so people can see what's going on. And we have to do this because we're being pushed up against the wall. But we still don't trust everyone involved with cryptocurrency. Just today, they released a bunch of information about um, there's trials going on right now. If you go on my Telegram or Tartargram, as I call it, you can find out a lot of – I'm doing translated Russian news and um, what would you say – uh, exclusives from Russia. So if you want to find out more about what's going on in the court system of Russia, we have a bunch of papers on the the discoveries of, you know, the interaction between Secret Service, um, you know, American intelligence, espionage from corporations, Biden, Hunter Biden, their interaction using cryptocurrency, that. you know, aka, but using their cryptocurrency to to manipulate the economies of zones, because if you put a million dollars into a small part of Russia, you can very quickly manipulate the entire town. It's very easy to buy out certain places. One of the main, this is probably my favorite Russo conspiracy theory, is that the Soviet Union collapsed because there were enough people that were finally not willing to be bought out anymore, that there was enough money available, enough food available, more importantly, that they were, and they were so sick of corruption that they said, please just... Go bribe the next town over. And that's when the CIA really lost control of the Soviet Union. And it led back to a consolidation through Yeltsin. You know, so I think that we are looking at cryptocurrency being the future in every respect. It's obvious. Crypto is back up. The um, gas fees are back down. You know, it's it's just inevitable. And a big part of it is that the West is finally um, no longer the largest economy. We've collapsed our uh, uh, petro dollar, something I've been thinking about also petro and, um, the connection to the stone, Piatro and Peter and the rock and the church and the petro taller and the, the, uh, the Bohemian Roman empire. We've collapsed the petro dollar or taller. And now it's going to be a uh, much more, uh, the petro coin or the petro token or the petro contract. And the petro contract is going to be far more, uh, valuable as time goes on, because it will be a customizable contract. So the, the the main concern will be anonymity for those who wish to continue to have anonymity. That will not be plausible in land states. Um, and then the the other concern will be um, the the exclusivity of of trade between states. If someone says we don't want our trading economy to interact with that economy anymore that will become far more difficult now it'll be almost impossible to stop someone from trading your economy on another trading platform you you will be able to do it if you, if russia said or if america said we're going to make our own russo bitcoin or america coin which is of course what they've done then 
America coin will uh, only be tradable with this key. And we will only give this key to these Wall Street uh, trading platforms. And that, that'll be the only way that that can work. And so it's, it's, it's interesting. It's a little bit more convenient to lock down if you control it completely than a dollar because someone could trade a dollar in the street. So it's going to benefit the elite on both sides to completely digitize money. But the hope is that if these states continue to allow the non-state run cryptocurrencies, then we'll be okay. And But it will become, that is again a, a question of land versus sea power. The sea powers will support it and the land powers won't. Well, what we saw in uh, Canada with the whole kind of like, oh, we're going to shut down your funding for these truckers. I mean, this is a few months ago, but um, I guess my fiance was saying that Britain is going cashless. Obviously, this is probably where we're going to go from, you know, health reasons, whatever. But it becomes much more, I mean, it becomes trickier. It's much more controlled and someone could just be like, oh, power off for that guy. You know, oh, he doesn't have the mark of the beast. He's not a political friend or whatever. Um, fuck you. Yeah, and just we will to find out again, there. briefly, the big difference between a state-controlled pseudo-cryptocurrency, maybe based on blockchain, but not really distributed, and something like Bitcoin or any more advanced cryptocurrency. Because I know there's a Cliff High prediction from a few years ago where he says that states eventually will create their own cryptos, but that they will all fail miserably. And I can more imagine, like you said, a very exclusive system because I always in my mind say, in my, you know, small assumption the communist uh, chinese communist you know making this up capitalist actually um guy who want to take his bribe will he take it in the official renminbi central currency with the one million account but he knows it's completely controlled or will he try in whatever ways probably use monero or something you know that he well, can so you keep... you remember europe when you were a kid like people would trade money in the streets you know and you have these people that would in, in argentina it's still like this to trade one day, you go and you find out how much the dollar's worth. But it's not as simple as that. It's not how much the dollar's worth in Austrian, um, God, what was it again? Shillings? No. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, thank you. And then there was, it could be also that the dollar's worth a different amount in francs. And you figure out how much the franc and the shilling is worth. And you say, okay, well, I'm going to get some shillings right now. But no, 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 no. I'm going to get some francs right now. And then later today, I'm going to trade that for shillings. I'm going to get that back and I'm going to get $10 out of my dollar. So there was a lot of money trading that was going on that was like that. And it was helpful to a lot of the lower to middle class that could afford to, and especially the people that could interact with other languages. Um, but, you know, people, tourists were coming in the streets. The Soviet Union was based on the principles of Das Kapital. And in that book, <sighs> there are at least two things that aren't lies. One of them is that the Soviet uh, concept is that the Soviet is a club. So the other idea that's really, you know, that's, that's a fact. There are clubs. It's not necessarily a guild. It's not necessarily a state. A state is a legitimate source of violence. A guild has rules. It's a club. It's a trading forum. The other, the, so a knitting club could be called the Soviet. You know, our mother's knitting circle of the Soviet. The other truth is that the economy being controlled by the state is dangerous. In other words, slavery has been outlawed for corporations, but it's completely legal to force, commandeer, and, man, and, and, and make men and women and children work if you wanted to. If you're the state, you can do that. And if they don't, it's at the end of violence. You can kill them for not doing what they're told. So in other words, slavery exists, it's controlled by the state. The state is the legitimate source of violence. This is more dangerous than corporations, but corporations are still dangerous. 
So what's left? The idea of the Soviet, a club. So if a club could have control of a certain kind of economy, crypto kitties, Ethereum, open solar token, what have we created today? Cryptocurrencies today are Soviets because each economy represents a specific agenda or goal. Monero, for people that want to have uh, anonymity. Chainlink, for people who want to have convenience. Uh, ADA and Cardano, for the, I mean, take your pick. There's a lot of benefits to Cardano, but it hasn't really you know, accelerated yet. Um, Bitcoin, for banking deals and for state trades between people that have the rights to violence, Bitcoin. And so there's a number of different kinds of crypto systems that have nothing to do with states nothing to do with corporations but corporations and states can use them and so they become more and more valuable i think that's the future of cryptocurrency now as i said that and you may might have gotten a little too optimistic let's remind you that klaus schwab said you'll by 2030 own nothing and be happy so the real plan of atlanticism is maybe closer to that aztec thing where they'll make you compete and play soccer and cut off your own head and they'll cut your heart out if you win. So it might be kind of a, a scary dystopia. No, that still. game was based off of um, cosmology. I mean, it's weird. I talk about the higher friend card. They're like, look, we're going to reenact. I love Jim. Jim's like in its defense. Yeah. There was definitely the sacrifice. Was totally astrology, astrologically based. So no, not the sacrifices. The soccer game was like play or die kind of thing. It, it was wasn't tastefully so much like like, done. Well, you know, it wasn't gladiatorial in the sense of like bloodlusting. I'm not no, saying it wasn't clearly. No, I, mean, I would do it. I would do but, uh, it. No, they were like, no, like, this is, we're playing out. It's like as above, so blowing is what they Did you get it like, in a heartbeat? Playing. Okay. In but a so heartbeat. <laughs> I just listened to the Bleak Teasers Blue album yesterday. It's I mean, great. Maybe just um, to mention, and with the more bleak version of, you know, Klaus Schwab, you will own say nothing. Um, obviously, this is also like a CIA Mockingbird predictive programming scam. Yeah, but he really yeah. does believe it. And, you know, he's, oh, sure. he's he connected. Sure. Did you see my talk with Leo Zagami, who's a Mason who was kicked out of the mafia, Italy? You got to look at the, watch my talk with Zagami because I was always I confused. I didn't know if I had seen it, but he's cool. So I'm, I'm looking it's, it up now. It's a, it's probably the best, uh, everything you, you shouldn't know about the mafia and the Vatican and Freemasonry, I think is what it's called. It's really important. It's really important stuff. And what you'll find is the connections between post-Soviet Romania and the Orthodox church and freemasonry and catholicism and or you know the the, the entire freemasonic illuminati there are groups of people in italy that love to refer to themselves as the illuminati they've spread themselves out across the rest of europe right so uh i'm oh, sorry a second okay the buyer sell anything part so klaus schwab is connected with and very good friends with some of these religious uh leaders who are involved with illuminati and his belief really right. is is the techno-Gaianism. Now, I know I say techno-Gaianism and I like to imagine it as a good thing, but let's be real. It could easily be evil if it's done wrong or done right by him. And so his plan, though, he really believes is people will be better off because they'll never need technically. Technically, they'll be able to get a piece of fruit when they need it. Now, you look at Rome, and this was very essential that Rome had monster truck shows, wine, and bread for free. You go to the Colosseum and you can hang out. This was at the expense of other states. And we're, we're going to notice that with this idea of portals and asteroids and you know volcanoes, the Sir Francis Drake came back with so much gold that it made silver worth more than gold because of inflation. They're like, hey, we have gold. What do you mean silver? This will happen here with all sorts of resources. And the resource displacement will destroy scarcity. And so what we're going to be stuck with is a system of people that won't want to work 
And the only way to do that is to say that the entire system is controlled and owned by the legitimate source of violence, aka the state. So this is why Klaus Schwab is doing this so quickly, because unless he does it himself, everyone will be free. And that's scary to him. Well, it's funny because uh, what we're talking about with the uh, state-backed crypto dollars versus, you know, legitimate whatever crypto, it reminds me of the Beatles versus the monkeys. It's like, what is it quite exactly like the other? It's like, hey, there's a good song or two by the monkeys, but ultimately not. I freaking as, uh, love the monkeys. You better be careful. Are but they real? are both really, they are really good Tavistock mind control program versus the LA mind control program. They got a bunch of 4F flat foot short glasses, people who could never get drafted. They, they put them in front of people on TV. They wrote for them songs. They wrote for them everything. But you know, it was Don Kirshner who wrote all the songs for the monkeys and he wrote Sugar, sugar, oh honey, honey, you are my candy girl. And you know who that came out by? Archie and the and the Archie and the gang, the cartoon. Because he said, "I'm never gonna work with another real person again." After he got slapped in the face by the monkeys when he tried to put that song in their hands, and then he made Lancelot Link, which is literally about chimpanzees in Beverly Hills. We will have to continue this conversation on another episode. Clearly, I hope you have a good conversation with whomever you were talking to, that Jewish dude uh, later. Hashi Tischler, gotta check him out. Thanks, you guys. Oh, well, yeah, we're gonna uh, look it up, and I just have to tell you. Uh, Andreas, you're producing absolutely stellar content. I didn't even notice this Sagami interview. It also just recently released. So, yeah, awesome yeah, stuff. Yeah, I mean, my, my so new much. interviews, all my new interviews are going to be crazy. So, yeah, definitely check out the interviews. And I hope you saw the Sir Francis uh, Bacon documentary because I put out a much deeper uh, explanation of the that. And then I went in a little bit further with Alexander War who was the you know expert on Shakespeare's authorship connecting Bacon to Ed DeVere. You know, so check out that. Go to andreas.me. Go to exertus.com. Send me money. At least like you're not as unwestern as Alexander Dugan in this sense. Yeah. Yeah, right? I'm very, <laughs> I'm very narcissistic. And if you haven't seen my Vice special, I've seen it floating around on the internet. So look on Odyssey, I think, is where it's, it's on. Link it to me or some shit. Okay, All right, I'll find it. But, you know, I'm not – I would never – you know, it's – DMCA stuff. I would So you gotta be good. But yeah, find it, watch it. It's hilarious. It's amazing. It's a uh, if you ever saw um somebody pwn fake news, I feel like I took Andy Kaufman to Alex Stein levels here. Like you really gotta, it's crazy. What the ah, I completely pwned vice. You gotta watch this. I wanna see it. I wanna see it. All right, dude. Love you as always. Enjoy the tell you what, uh, I'll send you the link. You can put the link. I'll send you the I'll send you the link. You can put the link into the description. Everyone, you can check it out. Yeah, because I want to watch it. I know it came out in the Ides of March. All right, we'll talk soon again, hopefully. And yeah, guys, fucking team rabbit hole all day. Further up and further in. Thank you, Andreas. Thanks, Jim. Thanks everyone for listening. Enjoy yourselves. Thank you.